Now, if you'll grab your Bibles and open them to the book of um, Jeremiah, let me read to you uh, from the first chapter. If you didn't bring your Bible, um, I hope that you'll change that and bring one next week. But if you didn't, uh, the text will be on the screen. I'm going to read to you from a book that we consider to be inerrant, infallible. It's, um, it's a book that's been attacked for 2,100 years. There are those who have sought to disprove it and have failed. Uh, even up to this very moment, they still have not yet overturned um, the veracity and reliability of this book. So let me read to you about 11 verses from its content, beginning at verse 9, reading to you from the, to the end of the book, Jeremiah chapter 1 at verse 9. It reads like this. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the, la of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance at the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word endures forever. As I read this text to you, this, this small section and portion out of his word, what impact did it make on you? Did you notice anything? Did it say anything? Did, did, um, did, did it alarm you in any way? Did any of it speak to you or grab you at all? Anything about it? Well, back several months ago, as I first started studying it, um, the thing that jumped out to me was that this would make a, a, a very good text um, for a sermon preached to a bunch of seminarians. But as you know, this is not a seminary, and you are not seminarians. Um, what this is is a church. It's a, it's a collection of people who, who love Jesus, 
who want to serve him well and realize that doing that is made all the more complicated because we're all so flawed and broken. We are a group of people who now, because we belong to him, we want to live out the rest of this life in such a way that he is pleased. Not that that bringing him pleasure earns us anything. It doesn't. But we are trying to express our love for him, love for the one, gratitude to him, for having brought us out of our own sin and brought us to himself. And so now, as we make our way to heaven, we want to do it in such a way that he is pleased and that glory is brought to him. So, I concluded that uh, in that sense, this text has a whole lot to say to us, even though we are not seminarians. There's a, there's a lot of instruction in here. There's, a, there's, a, there's advice. Call it either one you want. But there's instruction or advice for people who are trying to make their way to heaven in such a way that he is brought pleasure and that he gets glory from the way that we represent him. So there's a couple of three things in here that I think are that, that we have in common with seminarians. I mean, seminarians, non-seminarians, that's not the issue. The issue is we're a, we're a group of people, a collection of people, who having been brought to him by faith, we're now wanting some help in making a, a, a trip to heaven where he gets glory by the way that we represent him. So let me point you a couple, out a couple of three things, depending on the time, about advice, instruction as to how we might represent him well as we head to heaven. The first thing that I thought was so interesting in the text is that he mentions, I think, the biggest obstacle that we will face. Now, before I, I show you what I think it is, um, what do you think it is? It, is in your effort to represent him well and to uh, honor him with your life, what do you consider to be the biggest obstacle that you face? I'm sure it might vary from person to person, but apparently... In the mind of God, as he deals with this new young servant of his, Jeremiah, apparently the biggest obstacle that he points out is our fear of men. He mentions it three times in the text. Verse 8, he says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. He mentions it in verse 17, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you. And then it's hinted at somewhat obliquely, in verse 19 when he says they will fight against you but so apparently when when God is giving instruction and advice for this young man who's starting out in his in his uh, pursuit of obedience the first thing that he warns him about is the fear of man the fear of opposition the Fear of rejection. Folks, there's a, there's a statement made in the book of Proverbs. I think it's chapter 29, verse 25, I think. And, and you've heard of it before. Uh, the statement is this, the fear of man brings a snare. 
Well, what's the snare? What's the snare that is associated with the fear of man? I'm not afraid that he'll beat me up. Then, then what is the snare? No, I'm not, I'm not afraid that he'll beat me up. I'm far more afraid that he will shun me, that he will not include me, that he'll reject me, that he'll make fun of me, that he'll criticize me. That's a big deal, isn't it, for all of us? Um, you see, in a culture like ours, and apparently like Jeremiah's, we are bullied into saying nothing, or at least being maybe conforming, because we're so afraid that we won't be included. You know, that, that fear of man thing, it comes in all kinds of various shapes and sizes. The, the young are the most susceptible, but they are by no means alone. We all want to be loved, including preachers. And so it's fear of what they might do to me the frown that they might look at me with that renders me somewhat impotent in this life that I say I want to live. You know, guys, I, I thought it was just dear dear of God to, to take this young man that's about to launch a 40-year ministry and warn him, a young man, and Jeremiah, I, I guess the first thing that I want to say to you is, don't be afraid of them. You know, unfortunately, that fear of man can go to seed, can it? It can become so dominant, so excessive, that whatever usefulness or whatever effectiveness or whatever progress that we hope to make in Christian living is at least stunted, if not eliminated altogether, because we so long for that smile that people can give us. Now, gang, look further in the text and notice what God says to this, this young man. He says in verse 19, Jeremiah, they're going to fight you. You didn't start the fight, but they're going to fight you. And, and, and I would suggest to you that just knowing that little bit of information ought to help at least some. You see, some of the explanation for the fight that we're in 
might be because we're obnoxious. It is because, I know it is in my life, I'm obnoxious and I need to change. So some of the, the, the fight is because of my mistake, but not all of it, ladies and gentlemen. We believe in a personal devil, a devil that John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress says, a, a, a devil that hates our prince, hates his word, and hates his people. And so he is eager to stir up all the problems, and so the fight gets hotter and hotter. So the first thing that you need to know, Jeremiah, in this, in this pursuit of holy things, you have to expect a fight. You know, guys, um, just knowing that that fight is the normal part of Christian experience, that ought to help us a bit. Gang, um, Christians can get knocked off center, disillusioned if they're not warned, like God does for this man. There was a fight? I didn't know about that when I signed on. Folks, when you believe some of the things that we believe, a man was fully dead and buried and he walked out of the grave alive. When you believe some of the things that we believe as Christians, you must expect a fight. Virgin born, I know how babies are made. There's a second thing that he says to Jeremiah to help him overcome this obstacle. He says in verse 8, do not fear because I'll be with you. And um, he says it again in verse 19. I'll be with you. Um, My presence and my approval ought to be more to you than all of the accolades that you can get from them. You know, I hesitate to tell this story because it's been told so often by preachers all over the country, but it's drawn out of a movie, uh, a movie that was, back in, was big back in the 80s. It was called The Chariots of Fire. It was a movie about uh, Eric Little, who was a missionary to China, but he was also an Olympic runner. And on one occasion, his... His sister was trying to, his sister Jenny was trying to talk him out of running races. And, and Eric Little um, says to his sister, But Jenny, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. My brother and sister in Christ, in the midst of the fight, that you are to expect that you didn't start. There ought to be a sense of his pleasure. A sense of his approval. And you're not going to lose this fight. In the midst of all of those difficulties and unsettling 
pieces of rejection. We ought to be able to sense something of his pleasure. And then there's one other thing. He says in verse 18, and and I I love this. This is just, again, encouragements for the fight that we're going to have to expect. He says in verse 18, and behold, I make you. I make you. This fight is not something that you caused. I'm putting you into it. But it's always been, and I make you this day not a cream puff, not a sweet, soft pillow. No, Jeremiah, I make you a fortified city. I'm I'm gonna give you every provision necessary. To win in this fight, I make you a fortified city and and an iron pillar and bronze walls. That's what I made you for the fight. All of the provisions necessary, I'm going to give them to you. And, and, And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, one of those provisions ought to be your church. Your church ought to be a place that provides or that equips you by reminding you that you're not crazy. Well, the rest of the people over to my school, you know, they don't, they don't believe in, the, you know, the virgin birth. Like, you know, they don't even like this book. You know. I know. They don't. But you ought to be able to come in here. And be reminded that there are other people that believe the same crazy things that you do. Out there I am a minority, but in here I'm a majority. This is a place, this is to be a place of refuge. Away from the opponent that so hates the things that I hold dear. I come in here to recharge so I can take a remedy, I can take a, a solution out there to the very people who fight me because we exist for them. They may not know it, but what I stand for is the very antidote for their chaos. So one of the provisions that he makes is that he gives us the church where I go and people tell me, no, you're not as crazy as they say you are. (laughs) Now, I've got to move on. The the, the second or or a second piece of advice that's found in this text, guys, to, to anyone here who wants to rightly represent Jesus Christ to a troubled world, here is a keen piece of instruction, and it's this. You must see something before you say something. Did you see it? Verse 11, do you notice how God enters into this conversation with Jeremiah? He says, Jeremiah, what do you see? Verse 13, he repeats that. Jeremiah, tell me, what do you see? 
You see, there are, there are numerous professing Christians today who don't see much, and having seen nothing, they describe what they saw. Nothing. Guys, before you can make an impression upon someone else's heart, you must have had an impression made on your own heart. You must be able to say, I see it, before you say it. The the truth must become real to you down deep before it ever impacts anybody else. You know, that same truth is found in the New Testament, as you might expect. Paul says it like this. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Or a statement like James's in chapter 1, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, Hearers only are not seers. And if you are a hearer only, you may just end up self-deceiving or self-deceived. Guys, the first education that any of us need as Christians does not concern our tongue. It concerns our eyes. Tell me, how much of all this Christian stuff that you hear around here... How much, of all, how much of all of this have you seen? Have you embraced? It's kind of difficult to take anybody any further than you yourself have already gone. Spiritual truth has to be grasped, not merely known. Ladies and gentlemen, I can talk to you all day about how sweet honey is, but once you taste it, Then you know. You know, we preachers, um, unfortunately, are known for being quite bombastic over the subject of tithing. I hope you don't know that, don't think that about here. We haven't, I haven't preached on that. I don't know that if ever. But the, the, the common notion is that that's all they talk about is tithing. Okay. But if you ever see God provide for your young family, if you ever watch him be faithful to you in the midst of wondering, how am I going to educate my children? How am I ever going to send them to college? And he makes a way. then no one will ever be able to talk you out of that because you see it. Gang, our our living as Christians falls so far short of our knowing. And perhaps that's because though we believe it, It's never worked its way down into the bloodstream of our souls. Okay, Dr. Young, tell me, how how do I get it? How do I 
How do I, what do I do to get it to work down into the bloodstream of my soul? Let me mention a couple of things. First, folks, the Psalm 1, you know, the book of Psalms has 150 Psalms. The first one is in a lot of ways the most important Psalm in the book because it sets the stage for the rest of the Psalms. If you will master Psalm 1, then the other 149 will make more sense. But Psalm 1 pronounces a benediction not on people who read the Bible. The benediction is not pronounced even on those who study the Bible. The benediction is pronounced on those who meditate. This active pondering with an eye towards knowing it and doing it. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm saying is one of the ways that it gets out of simply knowing and becomes a part of the bloodstream is in the lost art of meditation. This book is not to be just read. It's to be... So, so put away all of those daily Bible guides that has a thought for the day and grab your Bibles and begin to pour over it. That's one way. Here's the other. Or here's another suggestion. <laughs> Back to that tithing thing. You know, when God discusses that in Malachi 5, he says something he doesn't say, he puts else in the Bible. He says, try it. Try me and, and see. So, forget the tithing. Across the board. Try it. Go see if he won't be faithful. Do it. Go do it. see if things aren't clear. Hey guys, um, I have a third point, but we don't have time. Let me just kind of summarize it for you. And this language from verses 11 through, um, say, 15 those two things where God says, do you, what do you see, Jeremiah? What do you see? And he says, I see an almond branch. And then he says, well, that, you, you did well because um, I'm watching over my word to perform it. That whole, that verses 11 and 12 is the whole idea that God is going to perform his word and he's going to perform it quickly. So what God is doing here, oh, and the second one about the, um, the, the boiling pot that's facing northward, facing out of the north, that's a reference to Babylon. Um, that God is going to use Babylon to um, perform his word. What God is doing with this, Jer- this new prophet Jeremiah guy, here's what he's doing. Here's the message that I want to take to, Jonah, to, to Judah. I want you to take this message that I'm going to perform my word quickly and I'm going to use Babylon to do it. So, here's our advice, the advice to us. get the message right. Jeremiah, here's what I want you to go tell them. Go tell them that I'm quick to perform my word and Babylon is going to fulfill it for me. 
Our message is a little different. But you must make sure that you get this message right. What is our message? Our message is Christ. More Christ. Christ crucified. God is through Christ willing to provide the righteousness that he demands. Take that message, ladies and gentlemen, and tell people that God is quick to save when the message is embraced. But know this as you take the message. What's it going to produce? It's going to produce building and planting. Verse 10. But it's also going to produce plucking up and breaking down. I get the message right. I take it to the audiences knowing that some will respond in belief and thus conversion, but others. Others will turn and say, I don't like that message, and they'll be plucked up and destroyed. So for us who belong to Jesus who want to honor him with how we travel, knowing that we're broken and inconsistent. Here's three pieces of advice. Expect a fight. See it before you say it. And get the message right. Knowing that the right message will build and plant and it will also pluck up and destroy. Our Father, would you um, use your word to um, bolster your people? Uh, would, you, would you put these pieces of advice underneath us as well as Jeremiah? Might you remind us that this message is one that will save and it will destroy. But, oh God, would you help us also overcome our fear of man? A world wants to bully us into silence or to conformity. Would you prevent us from giving them success in so doing? Do that, O oh God, and do it for Jesus' sake.